Our Pet Chat family are back and they're here ready to give you lots of information and help you out with any questions. A big welcome to David Tabret and Cheryl Shaw. Lovely to have you both back in. Hi. Very good to be here, Charlie. Love you, it. You yeah. two are enjoying I'm the like, weather out there, you said. If, if we're a family, am I Uncle David? Is oh, that... your, your grandpa. Oh. <laughs> Oh. oh, I hate to imagine what I am. I'm just kidding. No, your oh. sister Cheryl. Oh, thank yeah. you. Yes, yeah. I'm just, Cheryl. I'm just joking. Oh, <laughs> no, I it love is, you. it is lovely to have you both back. And some really interesting things we're talking about today, um, David. A little later on, we'll look at after mm. Samantha Armitage got bitten recently as well. I know that's not why you're doing it, but we're looking at dog bite wounds. Mm, and I didn't mean to right. laugh, and that's not funny. No. But um, probably not from the behavioural sense, but actually from what we can, what we know about how to treat them, and a few tips for listeners uh, if something like that does happen. Yeah, a dog biting another dog. I'm talking about not a person. Oh right, I don't, I don't, not humans. Yeah, I don't treat two-legged animals. <laughs> they're cool. They're cool. They talk a lot. Yeah, they're too, they've got too much attitude. And Cheryl, what are we looking at today? We're going to be looking at keeping our pets warm now that winter's finally arrived. Good one. Because my little Maltese, you see him start to shiver. They Aww. they feel it, the cold, don't they? they? Do. He is on the bed with a doona, mind you. He's just a sook. But, yeah, we will look at that. But, look, our, our pets feel it as well. They feel the cold and we do need to take precautions to keep them warm in winter. Absolutely. And just we, we need to really remember that they're feeling the cold like us and we put on that extra cardigan or a jacket or some socks or something and the dogs don't have that, um, that they're able to do it themselves. So we've got to really be feeling for them, making sure that um, if you are putting on a, a jacket for them, that it's a good fitting jacket, that it's not too tight, particularly under the armpits, things like that, where there's that friction area. Sometimes people will put jackets on that are way too um, too large and that then impedes the dog's natural movement. We need to make sure that the dog um, is wearing a jacket, that it's um, comfortable and that it can move um, and that when it's laying that it's not got big buckles that some jackets have or big straps because that often causes pressure um, on parts of the dog's body sure. when it's laying. Yep. Um, and it's really, really important that if you are putting a jacket on the dog, that each day you remove it and brush the dog's coat. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yes. This is a problem a lot <laughs> of people have. Because what happens when the dog's um, wearing the jacket, it compresses the coat and then we get matting. So if we take the jacket off each day, give the dog a light brush over, it will actually help that dog to prevent it from getting matted and it will also aid in the circulation of that dog's blood and keeping yep. it nice and warm. Okay. So it's pretty important that we do um, make sure that when we are taking uh, wearing the coat that we do take it off just like you and I get hat hair if we're wearing a cap or yes, something. Yep. The dogs get that with the jacket. So we need to be very mindful of it. The other thing is sometimes people um, put heaters on inside the house or like you were saying with the fires. We need to really monitor, just like we do with our children around sure. pets, because sometimes they get way too close and they can get burnt. And you can often smell that, you know, singed hair yes. smell in the house. <laughs> puppy, yes. puppy so um, heaters, um, obviously the dogs and cats do like to go up close to them, but just monitor um, just where they are. The other thing with cats is that we need to remember that often they'll get in the wheel rims of your car when they're nice and warm. Oh, and yeah. also yeah. under the bonnet. So, you know, you do need to, if you've got that cat that search, searches for that warm space, just to make sure 
that um, your cat's not laying there when you start the engine. Yeah, the mother-in-law wouldn't like me if I was to do that, <laughs> let me tell you. What about, do we need to be putting out extra, I mean, obviously always have a bowl of water available for them, but are they likely to drink more water if, if they're getting near the heaters and Absolutely. You know, getting Just much like more dehydrated? Absolutely, if we're getting really hot, and because we can have the option of taking off that jacket, the dog may not be able to do that. So making sure that they've always got plenty of water, that's very important, Sarah, yes. And Cheryl, how long should the coat be on your, you know, if you're buying a little jacket yep. on your pets? This is a, an ongoing argument with my husband mm. and I. He buys the jacket. It seems to fit fine, but the the back end of the dog's rump is exposed. And I, I just think that defeats the purpose because his rump's getting cold. Should does, it be covered? Does he do that for his it? own jacket, for his own clothes? I'm a on size 18. Yeah. He, every year he buys a ago. new one because the one before was too small and every year it's the same. Well, really, the jacket should go to to the top of the tail. Yes. Okay, because yes. what we want the dog to be Hope able to do Sean. is lift its tail to obviously go to the toilet. So it's really important that it's not too long, but it's not too short. Yep. Uh, um, sometimes they'll ride right up as well if that's not a really good fitting jacket. I always recommend that people take their dog along if they can to the shop <laughs> and have that jacket fitted so that it's the right size. Might save us $60, $70 every that's year. Right. you know, gee whiz. And look, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really good jackets out there. It's just finding the one that suits okay. your dog because you've got some dogs that never go outside other than to go to the toilet. So sometimes it could be just, you know, a, a jacket type or a waterproof type. It's just going to depend on your dog's lifestyle. Okay. Mm. And w should we be bringing pets in uh, during the night or is that just unrealistic? Because I know a lot of dogs are out outdoor dogs according to my dad they all are but yeah look a, a lot of people have their dogs indoors if you do have a dog that stays outside you need to make sure it's got a warm bedding yeah. that it's out of drafts that's really important often we don't think about where the dog is staying if it's living outside so making sure that it's not in a draft and you know making sure there's plenty of soft blankies to cuddle into some mm. really good tips there. With, it's interesting asking that question because when People sometimes say, oh, well, dogs, you know, they live outside, they're yes. used to it. But actually, if you look at the different breeds, uh, the, the dog's the prototype dog, if you like, has a thick woolly coat, like mm. a, a wolf and that kind. Uh, and we've got these dogs that are, well, now you can get hairless dogs. Okay, yes. So obviously, you can't expect that dog to cope with an environmental extreme, whether it's hot or cold, as well as a or differently to a dog that's heavily furred. Absolutely. Um, the other thing too, Cheryl, when you were saying about dogs getting close to heaters, my experience from a veterinary perspective is sometimes I will see that happening as a uh, symptom of a dog with neurological or degenerative disease. Ah. So if they have arthritis, um, they're often, you know, it's look, it's just too hard to get up and move. Mm. And also I've seen dogs that have got nerve problems where they're not feeling it as much yep. and sometimes the first sign of a problem is oh he lies too close to the heater and we can smell him cooking and then you check them and you say well actually he's got spinal cord disease and he's not feeling it properly right and so right. just for people to be aware that yep. uh you know a happy healthy dog younger dog would probably get up and move but um Sometimes it can be a sign of an underlying disease So as if it's well. happening, you know, take them mm. in to, to the vet and just get them checked out. Yeah, if they're just constantly lying too close. And the other one too that also comes up, and I'm sorry to make everything medical, is that um, dogs with hypothyroidism, where they have a deficiency of thyroid hormone, actually 
have a lower, if you like, the engines running lower. Yep. And so they don't generate as much body heat. And yep. it is known that they can develop um, hypothermia where they're just constantly, their temperature's low. Okay. Uh, and things just don't work as well. The gut doesn't work as well. The nerves don't work as well if you're cold in that yep. way. Some really good points there. Yeah. Really and interesting. David, that, another thing was with puppies as well, isn't it? The puppies can't regulate their temperature so well. Mm, puppies lie too far away, yeah. too close. Um, and that's to do with the development of their hypothalamus in the brain that they don't thermoregulate properly. So it usually kicks in, um, you know, after four to six weeks, they seem to have developed that well. Uh, so most people wouldn't see that because, you know, they don't acquire their pet. Yeah. until it's a bit older but that can certainly be a factor as well and if anyone's breeding keeping them warm is very very important we've got vicky from maitland now you've got a question uh for dr david tabret about your dog yes i do i have a 12 year old maltese shih tzu and he's been diagnosed with cushing's disease mm -hmm. yep. um and we're just wondering if there's anything in particular we should or shouldn't be feeding him because there are days when his tummy is really very extended then other days he's quite thin and he just drinks and drinks and drinks. Okay. And he drinks a lot all the time anyway and yep. his body's turning black. Right. Okay, that's interesting. Now, is he on any treatment for this Cushing's disease no. at the moment? No, nothing. Okay. Um, well, look, just a bit of background for everyone, I guess. And uh, Cushing's is uh, a disease, its proper name is hyper, meaning increase, adrenocorticism, corticism which means uh, cortisol secreted by the adrenal glands, which sit next to the kidneys. It can be caused by either um, dysfunction or a tumour in the adrenal gland or uh, a tumour in the pituitary gland, which is in the brain. And that um, tumour in the brain is what we call a microadenoma. So it doesn't actually grow very large, but it just secretes a hormone called ACTH. Um, which stimulates the adrenal gland to produce cortisol. And normally there's a feedback loop which says, okay, we've got enough cortisol, shut it down. But because the gland is um, being stimulated all the time, the feedback doesn't work. And so you just get lots and lots of cortisol produced. And so it has the side effects exactly as you've described, Vicky, which is it can cause a pot belly. It can cause thinning of the skin. It makes you drink a lot and eat a lot. And in some cases, as you're finding out, it can actually cause uh, pigment changes in the skin as well under the influence of all this extra cortisol. So um, Cushing's or hyperadrenocorticism has these uh, effects on the dog. And it's not just a visual thing. It's not just a lifestyle thing. It can actually also increase the risk of uh, other diseases um, the one, main one that comes to mind is thromboembolism, which can be quite dangerous, so they get blood clots forming. So generally we would look at treating that condition because we can uh, make a big difference in the... Excuse me. <clears throat> we can make a big difference in the uh, quality of life and um, the quantity of life away from the symptoms that you've described. As far as feeding goes... My general advice to people is that um, these dogs are hungry all the time and yeah, yeah, and you don't want to be feeding them all the time. So regardless of whether it's being treated or not, you need to be careful, otherwise they will develop obesity. And um, along with the obesity risk and also with the excess cortisol 
there is a risk of um, diabetes developing. Okay. And so diet does become part of your treatment, but really just a calorie restriction. It's not like there's a particular thing in the diet that's going to make a difference. It's just the calories. Okay. Uh, okay. It's important, though, that whilst you might restrict the food, you do not restrict water. Oh, yeah, no, he has access to water all the time. has to have multiple sources because what happens is the cortisol stimulates the kidneys to lose urine and so the body says, let's drink to catch up. And if you restrict the water in any way, shape or form, the kidneys keep pumping it out and they're not able to catch up. But I would... We noticed that. Yeah, I would encourage you... There are a couple of different treatment options and it's probably worth having a sit down and look at whether embarking upon a treatment might be worthwhile because there are some that are reasonably safe. We used to have problems years ago with side effects, but these days it's a, it's a little bit safer and it might well make a, a big difference to you know, quality and quantity of life and it okay. requires that further discussion with your vet. Wow, good stuff and good luck, Vicky. Taking your calls, 49216216. If you have any questions today for our vet, Dr David Tabret. Dr David Tabret, you've got a good one for us today. Mm. We're looking at dog bite wounds. We're talking dog. You know, the title of this uh, idea for me was Dog Bite Wounds and Icebergs. What do they have in common? I know. Thinking, mental model... Most of the danger with an iceberg occurs below the surface, and it's the same with dog bite wounds. Oh, there you go. Okay, so I'll tell you a little story, and um, I'm glad it's radio because if I had to show you the pictures, I think a lot of people would... uh, Pass out? Yeah, yeah, but uh, bear with me. I had a little dog come in once. This was about uh, 10 or 11 years ago, and he had been grabbed by a dog and shaken. It was a little chihuahua, and all he had was a bruise on the side of his chest. He He did have a puncture wound up on his neck, but that didn't seem to be more of a problem. I was more worried about the bruise. And so I talked to the owners, and I said, look, I'm concerned that there's something going on under here. I'm really worried. I can feel there's some damage there. And so we took this dog to surgery, we anaesthetized him, prepped up the area and I made an incision through the skin, that bruised area, and immediately I was looking at his heart. (gasps) So what had happened was all of the tissue underneath had actually been uh, traumatized and torn and he had torn through the tissue under the skin, through the muscles under the skin, through the chest wall. And so when I made that incision, the only thing between me and his heart was his skin. Oh, my goodness. Now, the good news is I'm pretty good at my job. and You he, saved him? Yeah, of course. Oh, that's unreal. What a so, great story. <laughs> but uh, I'm glad you didn't, you know, I'm glad you were really careful about not cutting too deep there. Oh, I'm very careful, careful with the scalpel in my hand. Um, but actually what it tells us is how did that come about? How did you get all of yeah. this damage underneath? And yet no, there was no puncture on the skin. It was just bruising. And what happens is it's to do with the way that dogs bite. So there's a couple of different type of injuries we'll see. The first one is most people would be familiar as well. If, it, if you get bitten, there's going to be a, a cut, a laceration. Mm-hmm. Okay, And that occurs because those large canine teeth from the dog go into, and this is um, what we term often, it's called a BDLD, big dog, little dog. Okay, Little dog comes off second best. Yes. <laughs> Even though they're the ones with the more spunk and fire, they just 
They have small man syndrome. Yeah, they can't mix it with the big guys, right? So BDLD, and they often get shaken. What happens is there could be a laceration. That's the first mechanism of injury. The second mechanism is where the larger dog's teeth go in and they lift and the skin and tissue gets pulled off the body wall underneath and that creates a pocket and that's dangerous because that's bruised, it doesn't have good blood supply, it could get an infection, uh, you know, all sorts of things can go wrong. But if you look at it on the surface, there's just two holes where the teeth went in. So you don't see that problem under the surface. The third mechanism of injury then is where there's a crushing effect and this is what happened to this little guy. He got grabbed around the chest and the bigger dog bit down, didn't break the skin, but by shaking, actually the pressure caused the tissue underneath to separate. Wow, okay. So we've got a bruise on the surface and, you know, and in actual fact, there was a puncture wound on the neck. I mentioned that. And um, once we explored that, there was really nothing there. But this larger bruise on his chest was where the problem was. And obviously, if you didn't go in and uh, operate, this little guy would have died. He would have died. Pretty quickly. Pro- probably from infection or uh, his lung probably would have punctured or something yep. for sure. And so what we did was we went in there, flushed it all, cleaned it all up. We put a drain into his chest and then we sutured the ribs back together, uh, brought the muscles back and everything, and he wow. went really well. Wow. So whenever you're thinking, oh, it's a, he got bitten and it doesn't really, it's just on the surface, I can see a little mark, just be aware that it's what's below the surface. Yep. And um, we tend to classify, like bites on a limb, you might think, well, there's not much below the surface, but bites on the limb can actually be a lot worse because there there is very little there. So we often see broken legs, broken bones, also damages to uh, blood vessels and nerves. Um, and then they can develop a problem called compartment syndrome. So that's where the nerve and the blood going into the limb is wrapped around is wrapped by the skin okay and if that swells up the skin doesn't stretch any further and then pressure is put on the nerve so the nerve supply gets cut off pressure is put on the blood supply blood supply gets cut off so we have to relieve that pressure and prevent uh, compartment syndrome the other one um just so gory details and but goes with, goes with the territory of talking to vets. I remember once I saw a cat and it had been grabbed by a dog over its back and he had two little holes, one on each side, or four holes yep. for the four teeth. Yep. And when I actually did the same thing and went in, I found his kidney had been torn oh. out of his capsule and the oh. only thing holding the kidney, it was just floating in the abdomen connected by the blood vessels. Oh. And it was okay like we put it back into the right yeah, place, you fixed him. but you can't just let your kidney float around. No, I, be- <laughs> I believe it has a home. It does have a home and it's connected to very important things. So we just made, again, flushed it and put it back in the right place. Um, and again, we would not have seen that unless we'd gone looking. Yeah. So yep. most of the time I, you know, talk to pet owners and when we'd see a dog with dog bite injuries or a cat for that matter, I'm always like, look, we really need to get in there and have a look. Yeah. And we don't know yeah. what we're going to find. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. You don't know. So you've got to look. Just as on the Titanic. I was going to say, if only you had been around to let them let them know the dangers of the icebergs then. It's what's underneath. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yep. Thousands of people lost their life. And so the same lesson applies. Pay attention to the whole of the picture, not just what you can see. Okay. Really good advice there, Thank David. You. Very interesting. 
Look, we do have Jan from Curry on the phone because I promised before the news that we would take at least another caller. Jan, we've got Dr. David Tabret here. Okay. Go ahead, Jan. Okay, my um, I've got a little dog. She's um, bilateral luxating. Yep. Yep. Patellas. Yep. She's having surgery for the first one on Friday. Mm -hmm. I'm concerned how to deal with her when I bring her home. Mm. I know I've got to keep her quiet yep. and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring a crate in for her to go in like overnight and when yes. I go out. Yes. Um, as soon as she's stable on this leg, she's having the other leg done. She's grade four. Oh, okay. All right. And is that being done locally? At uh, your vet? Okay. Stop. Excellent. Um, so the for how old is your little dog? She'll be two in just over a month. Okay. Yep. Um, so very often uh, we hear about this story of luxating patellas and what it means for those, um, if you don't own a little dog, uh, is that um, the kneecaps move uh, left and right across the leg out of the groove that they should normally sit in. So generally they tend to move um, into the middle of the leg and it's sometimes, depending on the grade, which you mentioned was grade four. She's got no groove at all. Yes. So what happens with a grade four is that basically they end up, like you said, with no groove. They also have rotation of the bottom of the leg and they also, the attachment of the ligament, the patella ligament where the kneecap is, um, which is on the front of the leg, that attachment to the, the tibia is actually moved around onto the inside and that's what's pulling that uh, the kneecap out of its normal position. And so when the kneecap is sitting around there, the leg can't bend properly. So obviously the idea of surgery is to try and correct those factors and bring things back into alignment. Mm -hmm. um, now, when she squats, she actually holds the leg out. Holds it out to the side, yeah. Out to the side. That's the leg he's doing first. Yeah. And she comes in, she lay, I've heard you talk about in front of the heater, and she lays with her back, so her legs towards the head. She's limping a lot more. I think the cold weather's getting to it. Okay, and that's that's important to know. Like with the age, in particular, because um, if it's you know if they're five or six, they've usually got severe arthritis as a result yep. of this. So getting it done at this age is certainly when you need to have it happen. Um, mm -hmm. I would I would say from a care and management at home is normal post operative care is uh, after the surgery as they need to be. Um, kept very restricted and in particular because we've had surgery on the back legs that, that really does apply. The other thing that often happens is that um, depending on how the surgeon does the procedure there may be sutures there and so on and a bandage and so you have to make sure that stays dry. Yep. Make sure you go for follow-up and then they will talk to you about uh, exercise therapy and most mm -hmm. people would look at doing some massage and some movement with the leg to try and start to keep things, you know, um, in the healing in the right place. And, and the time frame to start that really depends on what happens at the surgery. So sometimes they'll start that therapy straight after the surgery. Yep. And sometimes it might be a few days to a week later. But mm -hmm. I think that's a very important thing. And most of the time you'll be able to do that sort of thing at home once you've had some appropriate training. Okay, so when can she start actually putting pressure, like walking up, going to the toilet and things like that? Oh, most of the time with those, they're, they're up and able to walk to the toilet pretty much straight away. Oh, that's um, good. Yeah, they, it might be a little bit sore for the first day, but um, remember also that they um, will often have uh, different types of pain medication. 
So sometimes, and this depends on what procedure's done, it might be they have a pain patch on the skin or they're on medication and um, usually that'll help them keep them mobile, which is really our goal is to improve mobility as quickly as possible. And that's all we have time for today on Pet Chat.